Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, grit. It's how we measure the coarseness of sandpaper. But for human beings, it means toughness, determination. Can you learn grit? Can you teach grit to your children? Paul Tough, that is his name, author of the bestseller, How Children Succeed, Grit, Curiosity, and the Hidden Power of Character, is here to talk about true grit. And that doesn't involve a reference to John Wayne. 2020 has been a show of shit. What we all need is a show of grit. Plus, listener descriptions of our show. How do you capture 90 minutes of conversational madness in a one-line bottle? Our listeners try to put a cork in it. I'm Adam Felber, the man who attempts to use 60 grit sandpaper to smooth out the conversational grooves of this podcast and keep the topical marbles in their tracks. And now, please welcome the woman who's always losing her metaphorical marbles. It's Paula Poundstone, everybody. Hey! Hey! So nice to be sort of with you. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> hey, Adam, and I and I want to thank tonight's house band, Tim Freeman, returning Tim Freeman on the guitar. Wasn't he our first house band? He was our very first house band. He's been on, uh, I think, twice since then. Uh, he wow. hails from Santa Monica, California, not far from you, Paula. So uh, listen closely. You might hear him down the block. Uh, no, I think I've called the cops on him before for noise. Uh, yeah. So oh, I'm so excellent. happy. To, uh, Tim, thank you for being here. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and one more thing I want to get in here. Tim is with the Freeman Agency now, your source for digital marketing, and you can find him at thefreeman.agency. All right, what's new, Paula Poundstone? Um, you know, Adam, I was listening to a, a really good podcast the other day that I highly recommend. I can't remember the name. It's like 2020 War Room or something. But it's Al Hunt and James Carville, and I listen to it every week. And I noticed that every week they talk about, uh, Al will always say, and, uh, you know, and remember to subscribe to our podcast. Right. And I was thinking, are we supposed to be saying that? Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Didn't, we should be saying that. Didn't we used, we used to, say, to that. say that? We used to we say did, that all the time. We? Yeah. Yeah. So what does it mean when someone subscribes? Well, uh, most podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, there's a subscribe button. And if you hit that button, then you just, you don't have to remember to listen to our show. That just, it automatically downloads into your um, file and lets you know that it that the new show has arrived every week. Oh. Oh, well, then we should say that. I Yeah. Yeah, that, would, that could easily we... increase our listenership. Yeah? Why did we stop saying that? I don't know. I, I would imagine it's Bonnie Burns' fault. 
What? <laughs> no, I think I think we just got busy. What with the pandemic and all, maybe. Yeah, that you might know? be it. That's probably yeah. what happened. Which, by the yeah. way, I am I. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing, though, that thank goodness we got our new intern, Shannon Polly. Uh, uh, Shannon, could you come in here? Uh, Shannon uh, can probably help us remember each week to say, please subscribe. Okay. You mean Shannon, who was on our show last week and we kind of amusingly uh, hired her as an intern? She's actually at your house now? Oh, yes. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, we hired her as an intern. Yeah. Right, to replace to uh, replace the, the, the late and lamented Doug. Um, yes, and hopefully she doesn't, you know, come to the same ends. But, uh, oh, my gosh, right. she's been so helpful to me. Uh, in fact, when I sat down to record today, um, I had my earphones all ready to go. I, I, you know what? I know what you're referencing. I, I think our listeners might not, but um, uh, if you subscribe to our podcast— and this one gets to you ten minutes later than usual. <laughs> yeah, we know why the that reason, is. The reason the reason is is we had to start recording later than we intended to today because Bonnie Burns forgot her headphones. And she said, They're downstairs, I have to go get them. And then you could hear you could hear <laughs> you a could hear scary, the, creaky door, and then you her, could hear her go yeah. down the stairs, and then uh-huh. you hear her come back up the stairs, and then she cursed for a while, and I think she went back down the stairs, and then she came back up the stairs and she said, They were in my my pocket the whole time. Yes, and, you know a detail about that that I love is that she said she said, See, I knew I'd been organized. Like, yeah, she's like, very, like or, putting yeah. like putting them in your pocket and forgetting about them is a sign of organization. <laughs> no, I was yeah. very organized and prepared. I knew I had it all together. Oh, here's Bonnie Burns, everybody. Hi, and hi. then <laughs> I sat down for us to start recording, and they weren't here. I couldn't believe it. So I yeah. went down, yeah. and they weren't there. And that's when I remembered. Oh, I put them in my pocket. Then I came back up here, and. I couldn't find them in my pocket because they're so stringy. The keys were in the way. Shannon, wow. could you do me a favor and head over to Bonnie's? <laughs> Bonnie, Shannon, I, I want to. I want to point out a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, you just told the exact story that Paula just told, only without jokes. <laughs> oh no! But you. okay, say, the difference is the difference is that Bonnie was telling the. It, it, this was from her perspective. It was the first uh, person. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it was grittier. Bonnie, I, it was more. It was more raw. You could feel her pain and frustration. But Bonnie, yeah. I do want to encourage your future as a foley <laughs> artist. Would you mind um, opening and closing your door for a second? Okay, I'll do that. Because I really, I really do want our listeners to hear this because this is really remarkable. I don't know what the big deal is about a door that creaks, but okay, I'll do it. It's like a Disney haunted house effect. Okay. (laughs) I will say this. We have a lot of fun talking before the show starts. Okay, get ready. We definitely do. All right, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) That's not bad. It's not good. <laughs> What's that noise? Is someone Welcome there? Welcome to my podcast. Who's, <laughs> who's there behind that door? Come out, show yourself. <laughs> I don't care about stuff like daddy, that. Daddy, daddy, someone's there. I don't care about stuff like that. 
What do you mean you don't care about like stuff like what? If your door squeaks, do you? Do I care if my door squeaks? Um, yeah. No, no, I don't care. It's just that well, uh, when I, you're I, just- I do. I, I put some WD-40 on the hinges of my door just two weeks ago. You know why? Because I record a podcast in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, I did. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I haven't been able to work, and Bonnie makes 15% of, of what I make, um, and uh, so... She is having to find other uh, forms of income as well. And one of the things she's doing for the Halloween season is she's having a haunted house there yeah. in uh, <laughs> Thousand Oaks. Well, we should, we should get into talking about Halloween very soon because we, we know that Bonnie puts the candy outside and hides. But uh, you know what? As yeah. long as we're, we're starting our, you know, we started early with Bonnie, which we often do. But Bonnie Burns uh, up there in the Simi Valley, what's new? You know, I don't have a lot to talk about. I've been having a good time doing Paula's game show, uh, which we record on Sunday afternoon. And I think it's been mostly uh, nobodies that have been in the audience. And it's been really fun to, you know, put faces to some of the names that have commented on the show. I've really enjoyed that. But I was going to say, you know, I've had a few people take slams at Captain Crinkle. On our Facebook really? page, even, really? even though most people are very they love supportive, you. they seem to love you. Most people have been very, very nice. Captain Crinkle is beloved. One. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, no. Most people have been very, very nice, and even some people have said to stop picking on me, which I don't really what? think you do. But fuck, okay, fuck them. I think it's all yeah. meant in the spirit <laughs> of good fun. Okay, I always thought this so. was from Kevin Gardner. Uh, and here's what he said. Bonnie, who doesn't know a mic works after 30 years in business. <laughs> wow. Um. And hasn't washed your hair in months, is going to criticize Alyssa Milano's f- physique and her wardrobe, Ooh. which was probably pulled by a stylist. And what is Bonnie's excuse? Sorry, asking for Alyssa since I've worked with her and she's a do- And what is Bonnie's excuse? Sorry, asking for Alyssa since I've worked with her and she's a doll. Humor can cross a line. Boy, you know what's interesting? Wow. Is, it's interesting that he doesn't say anything about your inability to read aloud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He really let you slide on that. Um, anyway. But I did want to say one more thing, which is this is yeah. really interesting. So, yeah. and I'm sure that Kevin Gardner is a really nice person. And I did look him up on Facebook because I was kind of curious about him. And oh, no. he works as a standardized patient. Do you know what that is? I learned no. something from Kevin. No. Okay. There are people that get paid. He, he's a former actor. There are people that get paid to be patients for doctors in training. Oh, wow. I've done that before. Yeah. Tony, you've done that spleen. before? <laughs> Tony, did you say you've done it before? I've done it for, like, um, like psychology students. Like, oh, yeah. I've oh, wow. made up, you, like, problems <laughs> to tell them. You made up problems to tell them? 
<laughs> like huh. I like was given a like a never mind. <laughs> you were you you were given so wait, you made up problems <laughs> to tell them? I was given like like a background. So I didn't make up the problems. They were given to me. You were CIA. Tony, you worked for the CIA. <laughs> you thought you were training psychology students, but you worked for the CIA. Did any of it involve um, killing someone? <laughs> no. Yeah. Tony, that was CIA. Yeah. That would be CIA if that was the case. Yeah. I'm just surprised because I did not realize that Alyssa Milano was working her way through med school. I mean, I th- Kevin did say he just worked with her, right? No. Yeah. Well, he did say he'd work with her, and she was very nice. And I've well, then he I've, must have been her patient. I've heard she's very nice. He must have been her patient. Honestly, is my point. I don't even know who she is. She's a cookie. You <laughs> said. I thought that was really funny. She's a cookie. <laughs> you said oh, yeah. that. I thought it was did really I? funny. Oh yeah. I've been having. Wow. Uh. I can't believe Tony made up problems and told them to people that were training to be psychologists. You know, one of the best jobs, uh, it wasn't a paid job, but one of the best jobs I ever had was I fulfilled that service, and so, and so, so did my wife Jeannie, for a friend of ours who was going to massage school. You told them your problems? No, no. Every, t- every time she'd learn a new massage technique... She'd need to practice it. Like, it's shiatsu month. I'm about to have my exam. Can you come over? Oh, wow. You know, yeah. I, I'm kind of jealous of the experience you guys have had because I worked with a young, uh, a young doctor training in skin grafting. And, uh... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it was... It was hell. Um, uh, yeah, it was... It was really difficult. You know, I haven't seen you in a while. Um, because we've been taping from our homes, but um, right. there's a part of there's a part of the skin from my inner thigh that now just flaps over my nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy got a you, D. You should probably get <laughs> you should probably get him to remove that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the student the student got a D, and the teacher wrote "See me" on my forehead. <laughs> Wow. So they, they yeah. actually graded on your person as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a big D on my face as well. Um, remember <laughs> to subscribe, listeners. Listeners, remember to subscribe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Kevin, if you're, if you're listening, uh, absolutely, subscribe. <laughs> Did I tell you guys that last week one of my ears was sewn on backwards? No. <laughs> that's not even a skin grafting thing. How did that happen? Yeah, that's that's what I told the guy. This guy's bad. <laughs> that's what I said to him. Uh, I, I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. You don't even get a D for this. This is an F. This isn't even skin grafting. Yeah, he's probably not going to. He's probably going to drop out. This is terrible. I, I know you're, you're kind of in a tight financial situation now, Paula. Uh, what with comedy not being around. But you shouldn't take this gig. You know, I'm having to cup my hand uh, over the, the, the other side of my ear now, which is hard to remember. I said to you do. shouldn't take this gig. <laughs> <laughs> my God. 
All right, let's continue our journey around the horn, which is quite a slog these days. Um, let's go to Studio City. Tony Anita Hall, besides uh, being a human guinea pig, lying to doctors about your medical conditions, um, <laughs> what's new? Um, I've been laying on the couch in my underwear, eating cake, and watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. That is... Wow! <laughs> oh my gosh! How the hell do you stand the pace? That is a lot going on. Is it because Tony? It is. It is it because Kim Kardashian said that they're they're gonna. They're, this is gonna be their last season. I don't. I just. I like caught a couple episodes and then I was invested. And then as you watch it, you think, "Wow, these are maybe these are good people." Who are they? Do okay. no. <laughs> That's oh, ridiculous, Tony. I, I thought oh the most up, up until this moment, I thought the most questionable thing that you ever did is book yourself on a cruise for, for the Corona times, and, <laughs> and then, then book again, yourself on another. Twice. Yeah, yeah. But Tony, now this, I feel like you're telling us a story about yourself about a problem that you have that isn't true. In case we're <laughs> psychology students, because that's ridiculous. Oh, the Kardashians! The Kardashians might be good people. Where, where did you get such a ridiculous idea? Because sometimes they use their their fame and power for good. <laughs> yeah. A- after okay. they dumbed the shit out of the entire nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, if, if, they, they, <laughs> if they donated all their money to schools, it wouldn't even make up for that show. <laughs> yeah, honestly. They, right. They're, they're, they're in a deep hole. They do have a lot of money. Uh, Tony... What possessed you? Like the first time you sat on the couch in your underwear and you had some cake, which is already somewhat odd. But okay, there you are in your underwear with your cake and you pick up the TV clicker. (laughs) Did you already know what time the show was on? Had you planned it or you were just clicking around and you came across it? I was just clicking around and I came across it. How bad must the other shows that you passed have been? Yeah. So I just, you, it's easy watching. It's just, and it's often on, like, sometimes I'll pick up my computer, do some emails, and the show's just on in the background, too. Okay. So it's just, oh, like, easy. Wow. But sometimes yeah. I'm really invested as well. I mean, yeah. I just. Yeah, sounds like it. I want to keep up with them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, speaking about keeping up, Paula, do you have a word for us? I do, which which puts me not just keeping up with the Kardashians, but way past them. The word is purulent. It's what? an adjective, purulent. It's, a, it's okay. an adjective that means consisting of, containing, or discharging pus. Ew. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. Trump okay. spews lies like a purulent wound. Wow. I can't tell you how many people have told me that my vocabulary song has been an invaluable learning tool for them. It's actually not that many. I just can't tell you. That's all. I, I, I know the number <laughs> will grow when I add this word, though. So, uh, so, so here we go. Let's see. All right. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, here we go. 
This week's word is purulent. It's an adjective that means consisting of containing or discharging pus. I hope that never happens to us. Last week's word was seminal. It's an adjective that means of a work or event or idea strongly influencing later developments. The Democratic Convention had virtual celebrants. The week before that we had insouciant. It's an adjective that means carefree, unconcerned, free from care or worry. I'll lead even if it's furry. Going back before that, we had hyperbolic. It's an adjective that means deliberately exaggerated. This podcast is richly financially compensated. And not long ago, we had lugubrious. It's an adjective that means dismal and sad, like when ducks poop on everything you had. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumble or medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. That was a good one, Paul. That was a really good one. Yeah. You you brought it home. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, No, 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 no. She didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody meant that. That was her. That was her practicing saying a problem that she doesn't really have for us. Yeah, doctor, I've got encore. Yeah. Um, uh, Purulent. Purulent. It's an adjective. Wow, I didn't know that word until this moment. So now I have learned something. Or discharging pus. Maybe you, yeah, purulent. That's gross, huh? Coming up, author Mike Loomis wrote, Grit is a measurement of sandpaper and determination. In both cases, it defines an ability to change surroundings and not be changed. We'll find out how to get grittier. That's coming up when we return on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. These are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft (laughs) 
And so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so, it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Lizzie Borden's dad said, Well, I don't know what you want it for, but yeah, sure, you can borrow it, so long as you put it back. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, house band Tim Freeman. Tim, it's good to have you back. Paula, 2020 has called for all of us to have some grit, for want of a better word. Oh, grit's a great word, and I'm hoping it's not too late for me to acquire some of it. Yeah, because we kind of need it, right? I mean, like, to get through 2020, it will require some true grit, right? I think it will. And yeah, here's the bad news. It's not just to get through 2020. Yeah. I think it's to uh, continue to, to get persevere. Through the, for the rest of our through, lives, yeah. At least 2021, we don't know. You, you know, I, I. everyone keeps saying, oh, 2020 sucks, and it does. I don't want right. to take that away from 2020 in any way. But guess yeah. what? What? 2021 is going to be, it's going to have a good deal of suckitude as well. I, I, so, I think you're right, and as a, as a guy who's raising two kids... Um, I'm pretty happy to have our next guest here. Uh, he can answer all our questions about grit. Paul Tuff is the author, most recently, of The Years That Matter Most, How College Makes or Breaks Us. His three previous books include How Children Succeed, Grit, Curiosity, and the Hidden Power of Character, which spent more than a year on the New York Times bestseller list. Please welcome Paul Tuff. Yeah. Thank you. What a lovely welcome. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for being here, Paul. Okay, why don't we start with this, which is uh, define grit and why we need it. 
Okay, so defining grit is actually not as easy as it might seem. Um, so grit, the way that I wrote about it in my book, How Children Succeed, is the the, the, the invention, the work of this uh, psychology professor at the University of Pennsylvania named Angela Duckworth, who went on to write a book called Grit. Um, and she defines grit as... Um, passion and perseverance for um, things that you really care about. Like it's not just the the side of grit that I think a lot of us think of, which is a sort of the true grit side, which is just putting up with terrible stuff, right? It's just right. resilience. It's it's surviving awful things, right? And that's an important quality, but it's not a very like aspirational one. Like I really want to just be able to suffer well, right? Um, but the, the 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 more aspirational grit that Angela talks about and that I read about in my books is is about having being able to persevere toward a goal, right? Having a goal that you really care about and being able to stick with it despite failures, despite setbacks. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, uh, that's a good definition. Why would you say that we need grit? Well, uh, I mean, uh, there, there, there is a lot of failure in life, right? If we want to accomplish something big, if you want to go out there and make, you know, a podcast, write a book, um, run for president, do anything hard, uh, raise a family, there are going to be lots of moments where you face setbacks. And um, those moments where you face setbacks are some of the most important moments in life. So I'm, I'm a father to two uh, young boys, a five-year-old and an 11-year-old. And when I think about the, any, any value that I have in their life, it's about helping them through those moments, right? And in lots of ways, that is, I think, what grit is or the grit that I care about. It's how you deal with those moments of failure. And because those moments are going to come along all the time, if we don't have um, the, the, the character, the, the, the preparation to deal with those moments, it's really hard to get anything done. So, you know, one of the things when you, uh, as a journalist like me, when you start looking into this research around grit, you'd notice that, so they, they, these researchers have a definition of grit. They've, there's even a grit scale that you could take where you can measure how gritty you are. What? what? they have not yet, there is, there's a grit scale <laughs> that Angela Duckworth has come up with. What, you can find out how gritty you really are. What are the units on the grit scale? Are they, uh, it's like, I haven't they're not ounces, are they? I think it's they? like, <laughs> no, they're not. Um, you can't actually weigh your grit. Um, no, but uh, so it, it's it's a self-administered scale. It is not super scientific. But um, your response to questions like how often do I take up a project and then abandon it halfway? How likely am I to stick with something till the end? Um, it's, it's that kind of self-assessment. Um, so did you, um, Paul, you said you've taken this self-administered test before. Did you complete the test? I did. <laughs> it takes about two minutes. So if you do not answer all the questions, you automatically fail. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's um, really low on the grit scale. Yeah, I gave up on the third question. That's really. Uh, I yeah, threw my I threw my computer out the window and cried. Yeah, I've definitely had those days. Is it anyway, on, is it on I'm, the computer? Do you find it online? This grit test. Um, I, yeah, so if you go to Angela Duckworth's website, I think it's possible it's there. I haven't checked for a while, um, but I think I think her grit scale is there, yeah. I think just um, getting through a Zoom call takes a lot of grit, you know, figuring out if you're in uh, gallery view or or speaker view. To me, that takes a lot of grit. You got to stick with it. That's really true. <laughs> I agree. Oh, but, you, but you were saying, you were saying. And you're, your friends you're, you're, are all flat. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So yeah. So when so anyway. So what I, what I found when I was reporting on these researchers is that they they know how to define it. They know how to measure it. They don't know how to teach it. Um, and I'm really convinced that that the idea that grit is something that we can just teach like any other academic subject that like 
grit worksheets, you know, grit lessons that any of that will work. I'm really skeptical of. Um, and what I what I've come to believe uh, in reporting on this is that grit is really the product of a child's environment. So I think some of it is is nature. I think there's some kids who get frustrated more frequently, who um, you know overreact to to, to crises, uh, and that's something just intrinsic in them. But most of it, I think, comes from the way uh, the environment that that kids grow up in. And when children grow up in environments um, that are really stressful, that, that involve a lot of um, trauma and difficulty, it makes it harder to develop that kind of internal thermostat that lets you react to adversity in a calm way. Are you saying I'm so, making my kids panicky? How dare you? How dare you? God damn it, Paul! Ah! I would think, you seem, I don't understand it. I would think the opposite, Paul. I would think that being faced with uh, stressors and challenges would make someone, you know, uh, you know, toughen up a little bit. Yeah, I think there's. I, I think that's a common belief. Um, and, and but I think there's lots of evidence uh, from psychology and economics and neuroscience that the the opposite is true. You know, the the research about attachment um, shows that there's this very counterintuitive uh, thing that happens in childhood that when children in infants in the first you know eighteen months of life live in a very safe, warm, nurturing environment. Um, they are the ones that end up being the most confident, right? They have a what psychologists call a secure base from which they can explore the world. And if kids grow up in environments in which they are just left to fend for themselves in those early years, they end up being much more clingy, much more attached. Uh, they have a much harder time. And I think the same thing is true as kids uh, get old. Yeah. What I like to do with my son was when he was about two years old, I'd put him in the backyard with a rope and a javelina hog. <laughs> and i'd say you know if we're gonna have dinner tonight you're gonna have to catch it and uh he's tough as nails that guy oh my yeah. gosh so you're saying that these things would would actually have the opposite uh the opposite effect yes i think they would and i think uh, you know, I think I think there's also certainly such a thing as being an overprotective parent, and and especially as kids get older, we can make mistakes on the other side by protecting them too much from adversity. I was so um, hoping, Paul, that you would say it depends on the age of the hog. That was the correct answer <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if we're talking about you know middle schoolers and 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 uh, teenagers. If we're overprotective, they get this opposite message, which is that we don't trust them to actually um, be able to handle themselves in the world, right? So, so another another quality that um, psychologists talk about as being really important in the development of these non-cognitive strengths like grit is autonomy, having a sense of your own autonomy that you can actually do things. And when we protect our kids too much, uh, especially when they're older, that's exactly what they don't get. They don't get that sense that uh, anyone believes that they can do things on their own. Oh. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a tricky balance, I think. Um, and definitely there things change as kids get older. We want to give them lots more, you know, love and support, uh, in infancy and give them more autonomy as they get older. Um, but I think there are still, you know, so I, I have a five-year-old and an 11 year old and with the 11 year old, you know, who, who has a fair amount of autonomy, Still, I think the most important thing that I can do for him is help talk him through these moments of crisis, these moments of failure. And I think the, the, the difficult thing for parents is to be able to communicate that, like, 
I care about this moment. I care about how you're doing. I care about your feelings in this moment, but I'm not going to solve this problem for you, right? You can do it on your own. And getting that right, I get it wrong at least half the time. Getting that right is, I think, one of the most important tricks of parenthood. Is it too late by the time they're young adults? I don't think so. I mean, I think I think that, that parenting never really ends, you know? I think there are still those moments where your kids uh, have problems have have crises and if you're lucky they'll they'll take seek your advice and talk to you about them um and again i think you know there are parents even of young adults who are still try to solve those problems for them right um and I, I don't think that's helpful right i think i think you can commiserate you can empathize you can show your support but still say you know i trust you to work this out i trust you to solve this you know the other day i was walking my dog and there's a lot of uh, foot traffic in santa monica now and uh, I saw Dad doing that. You know what it is the second you see it, um, which is he's running with his kid, little, little kid, and he's saying to the kid, oh, my gosh, you're beating me, right? You're faster than mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. You're a little, little kid. Uh, and I used to do that with my kids, too. It was really fun. They'd get all excited that they were going to beat their, their mom um, in a race. It, 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 is that a bad idea? No, it's a great idea. It's great. I mean, you know, that like I, I feel like this uh, the idea that we have to like be mean to our kids <laughs> and beat them in foot races and, you know, like that that is going to lead to them being being sort of stronger and more resilient. It's just not true. Um, you know, I think I think again, it's possible to go too far the other way. It doesn't also make them not want to run faster. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't my experience with my kids. <laughs> I can already beat mom, so there you go. <laughs> no, they love it. So let, let, let me ask you this, let me ask you this, Paul. What about me and Paula? Is it too late for us to develop grit, or am I just gonna freak out every time the doorbell rings for the rest of my life? Is that true of you? No, it's, you it's not really true. It's not really true of me. But can we he's de- very, develop? He's grit? very unflappable. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know, I really believe that people can change, right? I think you, I think basically what we're talking about is just like, like, can you change as an adult? Can you deal with with the problems in, of your life any better than than you did ten years ago? And there's lots of examples of people who get stuck and don't really change, but there are lots of examples of people who do. And and to me, that's not that that's not sort of specific to grit. That's not about like do, doing grit exercises or grit training as an adult. It's about all of the things that help us change. Um, it's about like coming to understand yourself better, coming to, um, you know, sort of like coming to terms with what motivates you in life. And I think that happens to uh, people at all stages of life. One of the things I like to do is when I see a stranger's little kid running, I come up beside him and then just take off. And I go, <laughs> hey, I beat you. It just, you know, builds up my, uh, builds up my self-esteem. Well, you know, Dr. Angela Duckworth wrote, Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Take that one to the bank, kids. Stay tuned to find out more about hitting the wall as you live a grittier life. The Cat of the Week is Georgia from Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep 
so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally, and everybody just piles on it, and it it's comfy, and yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. And we're back with author Paul Tuff. All right, Paul, we've been talking about this whole grit thing. Tell me, how is grit related to IQ, or is it? Uh, so in, in my books, I talk about this whole sort of suite of what are sometimes called um, non-cognitive skills or character strengths. So they certainly include grit and perseverance. They also include things like curiosity and optimism, um, conscientiousness and self-control. And 
what researchers have found, it's difficult to sort of uh, parse these things out and say this one's more important than that one. But what researchers have found is this whole collection of non-cognitive skills, what um, psychologists and educators sometimes call your character, that that matters at least as much as IQ in your long-term success. Um, so, so being smart doesn't make you gritty. No, no. That smart, smart uh, intelligence and grit are definitely um, uh, disconnected. Um, I think the grit is connected to some of these other non-cognitive skills, but that whole collection of non-cognitive skills is a better predictor of how well people are going to do in life than their intelligence, as measured on IQ tests. Hmm. I uh, I was I was with you. I was sort of excited about these non-cognitive skills until I heard self-control. I, uh, that's not your favorite well I just you know I have a problem where I have a really hard time stopping talking and uh, that strikes me as a big self control problem and uh, every day I get up and tell myself I'm going to solve that and every day I, I fail uh, um, uh, some of the other non-cognitive skills though I'm, I'm really humming on how do you how do you differentiate grit from gumption? Uh, good question. I, I, uh, so uh, gumption, man, that's like it's a good grandfather word. Yeah, yeah. I, can I just throw pluck in there? Yeah, grit, oh, pluck. I think your next book needs to be called Grit, Pluck, and Gumption and How We Tell Them Apart. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to do some role playing here because Paul, you were talking about you were talking about how to how to kind of teach grit to a kid or how you might help them and when they run across failures. Can we do a little role playing where where Paula Poundstone is now once again a young kid and she's reached a failure in her life and 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 you you be the the dad who can, who can impart a little grit. Can you show us how to deal with her encountering failure in her life? Sure, Paula, you're going to give me a moment of failure. Yes, uh, I, I, uh, let's see. Uh, when I, uh, when I, well, Paul, you got to be this person. Tell, I am tell Daddy person. Paul. You know. Okay. So, oh, all right, all right. So, uh, so, Dad, why am I older than you? That's my first question. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got a complicated family. I, I can't go into this. Yeah, yeah. That, Dad, I've always felt awkward about that, and on this day where I have yet another failure, I thought I'd bring it up. Um, Dad. Uh, I, you know, I was running for class president of my sixth grade class, and Amy Hayes won. And, uh, you know, so uh, I managed not to cry while I was in school, but I spent the afternoon crying in my room. Uh, Paula, I'm really sorry to hear that. That That's rough. Um, what? So, uh, you know, are you going to run again next year? Not for the sixth grade, Dad, unless I have to repeat the sixth grade. <laughs> well, I just saw your, saw your report card, and uh, I've got, while you're already feeling bad, I've got some more bad news for you. Oh, no. This has gone off the rails. So there's more than one failure there, is there, Dad? Do you really think this is the time to bring that up? Paul um, Poundstone, you stop sassing your father. <laughs> is that Mom? Yeah, of course, honey. It's, I'm appalled that you're letting your kid... Push you around like that, Paul. <laughs> what kind of father are you? Get back in there and teach her some grit. Um, uh, 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 this is where the javelina in the backyard comes <laughs> in. Right? Dad, Dad right. do I have to go in the backyard with the rope yes, and the javelina? Yes, you have to get dinner. I mean, I don't care about the election. It's time to get dinner. I, I tried so hard. That was the thing. I, you know, the hardest thing, Dad, is that 
Nothing rhymes with Poundstone. So when I tried to make a slogan, it really helped me back. And let's be honest, there are no issues in the sixth grade. Uh, we have no power. Um, so, all right, let me think of another one. Okay. All right, so now, 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 Paul, I'm in high school. And I, I, should I be younger? Should I be younger? I try to think of something that happened when I was younger. I, I feel uh, like this is not going in a productive direction at this point. What do you mean? Uh, it's, <laughs> I feel like we could just roleplay role the rest of the interview. It would be kind uh, yeah, of fun. It is fun. <laughs> okay, wait. No, no, let me get, okay, let me get younger. Okay, wait. I, I have to think about something that I failed at when I was, when I was younger. Surely there were more. How oh, about tying your shoes, Paula? Okay. Oh, my God. I couldn't tie my shoes for the longest time. I, I was, I, I just wasn't getting it. For, for the longest time. So what would you... So, Dad, will you tie my shoes? Uh, you know, you're 15, Paula. I think it is time. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you. I really think you can do it. Dad... You worked on this all last year. You know what, Dad? You made a shitload of money off that book about grit, curiosity, and hidden power of character. How come you won't buy me some loafers? <laughs> some velcro shoes yeah i think i want to yeah. i want to return to this interview <laughs> no i'm really liking this oh no, this is, yeah paul's a great dad paul paul let's let's apply this and I, I think you're probably going through this in your life as a dad right now and it is grit related these the, our kids are going to school on zoom and it's super frustrating when things go wrong are there some basic actions or habits that we can help use to help the kids get through, you know, the inevitable. I mean, there's so much drama going on around just getting through a school day on Zoom. There is. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, even beyond Zoom, I think this is an intense moment for a lot of families. I mean, you know, there's some good things about it, right? Like we're spending a lot of time together, which can be good or can be bad. Um, I think a lot of families are getting closer, but there's no question there are some new new stresses, certainly with school, but with everything else, with not seeing friends, with um, you know families that are suffering job losses and illness. Uh, and so I think the main the main thing that we can do to help our kids is to just have patience right now, right? And to understand that this is not going to be a normal school year or at least a normal school semester, uh, that kids are not going to... Uh, be able to do everything perfectly the way that they that they might in another year. And I think it doesn't mean we give up. It doesn't mean that we just write this semester off. But I think we've got to just have like a little bit more more patience, a little bit more, um, give our kids a little bit more leeway in how they make it through this period. So what about, um, I guess if we're talking about maybe a, a more normal time, what about sports for your kids? Um, is that a grit builder? Yeah, I think it really is. Um, you know, it's such interesting in my book, How Children Succeed. I, one of the one of the uh, teachers who I wrote about, who I thought was the best uh, grit instructor who I met, uh, was this teacher who never talked about grit at all. She was a chess coach, um, and so you know, a chess coach gives us a very different image than the you know the sort of like Gene Hackman basketball coach or the football coach. It seems yeah, like if, pretty, if you're a like, chess coach, game. they don't even give you a whistle most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. I had but a it, math you know, coach that used a whistle. And uh, he'd really? go, yeah, yeah, he'd wow. like blow the whistle in your ear and go, you didn't carry the two. Uh, yeah. 
It's an emotional thing. So, so this was, you know, she was an amazing coach. Sure, her team was this middle school team in a a, a, a public school in Brooklyn. Um, they were fantastic at chess, but they still would lose all the time, right? Anytime you play chess, you lose. And it's what I think she did that was so effective with her class was t- t- help to teach them to help to talk them through these moments where they would fail. And the way she did it was by analyzing exactly what they did wrong, right? Which you might think is a really sort of painful way to experience your failures. Like, let's let's parse it out. Let's see exactly the mistake that you made. But actually, I think it, that's that's really valuable. And it's, I think it's valuable in school and I think it's valuable at home as well. Because when you fail, when, you know, when Paula like lost her election to, um, to a- Amy, Amy Hayes. or whatever Amy her name Hayes, was. But right, I've, Amy I've Hayes. forgotten all about it. Amy Hayes. Like that, that just feels like, well, you know, I'm a terrible person, right? There's nothing that I could do differently. Right. But when, you know, a chess coach or a basketball coach or anybody else sits you down and says like, no, it's not, you didn't make every mistake. You made this particular mistake on, you know, move 38 in your, in your, uh, in your chess game. Um, then you can understand that that's a failure that you can come back from, right? Because it's something that you can actually fix. Um, so that's why I feel like coaches are in this, um, sort of a unusual position to help young people develop grit. And all of us, I think, have to become slightly better coaches in order to Uh help our kids do better. Rub their nose in it. Got it. Exactly. Hey, uh, Paul, let's talk about uh, grit and gender. Is there a grittier gender? Are we not teaching uh, grit correctly to one gender more than the other? So... The, the, the place in the, in the, the, the uh, literature about non-cognitive skills where there's a real gender gap is not grit, it's self-control. Um, and so, Paula, you were saying self-control was not your strong suit. No, it isn't. Uh, in general, actually, it is girls who have more self-control than boys, um, as anyone who's raised boys can attest. Um, and, and one of the things that is true now when you look at uh, academics is that girls are doing better in school, yes. like at every level, right? Yeah. So it's certainly true in elementary, middle, and high school, but it's true like on PhD programs, it's true in math, it's true just all down the line. And that is not necessarily because they're smarter, um, although we can debate that, but it is because they uh, have better strategies for um, making it through the day, for, you know, sticking with their work, for getting things done, uh, and that really plays out. In, Why do they in have academia, better strategies? Right? I, I think there is, I think, I think there's something cultural, and I think there is something intrinsic, right? I think that, that it is true that girls are, are better able to manage those intense emotions. Um, but I also think we, we create sort of cultural um, ideas about what boys can do and what girls can do. And we sometimes, I think, force girls to be too self-controlled, too um, straight-laced. Uh, that has a lot of downsides. But when it comes to school, it's a really effective thing. Yeah. It's a big fucking problem for me being too straight-laced. Absolutely. (laughs) Listen up, Paula. Um, So, Paul, your your newest book is The Years That Matter Most. Uh, Tell us what that's about. What year matters most? That book is about college. It is about the the years right after high school. Um, And it's really about um, higher education and social mobility. And so how our system of colleges and universities has sort of conspired to make it hard for low-income and first-generation students to succeed after high school. There are certainly examples of moments where where low-income kids manage to get to a great college, uh, and that is uh, one of the best and most effective instruments of social mobility. 
But for the nation as a whole, college right now is this big sorting system uh, that makes it easier for kids who grow up in affluence to go further and do better and makes it harder for those who grow up with fewer resources to succeed. Um, so I look at that from lots of different perspectives. I follow some students through the high school and into college. Can't you get arrested uh, doing that? Time. <laughs> um, follow from a, slight, it, a respectful distance. It's a little creepy, Paul. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and, and like hung out with admissions officers, uh, spent some time at the university of Texas, took a calculus class. Um, and so I put all these stories together to try to paint a picture of where higher education is right now. So, uh, not to name names, but the people who, uh, cheated to get their kids into colleges, right? And, and it's not just yeah. the names that we know. It, it's, it's more than that. For sure. Does that end up being a leg up to those kids or especially the ones that that really wouldn't have gotten into those schools any other way um, and therefore don't really have the capacity for success within those institutions? Does it end up benefiting them? Well, I think. It's a good question. So, uh, you know, so I, uh, I did a bunch of reporting with this one uh, SAT tutor in Washington, D.C., who was like is the, the most exclusive, most sought after uh, SAT tutor. He charges $400 an hour. So his services are legal, right? Unlike what happened in the Varsity Blues scandal. Um, wow. But there's something very uh, reminiscent of what was going on in the Varsity Blue scandal, right? These are parents paying an enormous amount of money to get their kids into college. And just the fact the fact that it's legal doesn't mean that it's right. And it yeah. doesn't mean that it's necessarily helping those kids. So, And I think it's a real conundrum. Like there is data that shows that getting into uh, a highly selective college does pay off in terms of your income. But I think it goes back to this grit and parenting question that we've been talking about. These are, you know, parents who are uh, parents of, of young adults, right? Of, of teenagers who are paving the way for them, acting like snowplow parents, right? Getting every possible obstacle out of the way. And I don't think that works. You know, I, I think that is depriving young people of those opportunities to, uh, to experience failure, to have some setbacks, to find their own way around those problems. And I think when parents go that far, um, certainly up uh, past the point of illegality, it is really undermining those kids rather than helping them. Interesting. Um, well, thanks to you, Paul, we've learned about grit and its importance in our lives. And now we're going to take that information and run it through the old Pounce-tonator. Paula? Great. Tim, if I can get just a little bit of, you know, ambiance music, I I I'll, I'll tell you what the Pounce-tonator spit out. Well, Pilgrim, everybody needs grit just to get through life, but... Right now, we're riding through the meanest period we've ever known. You're gonna need grit, Pilgrim, and your kid's gonna need grit. Barrels of it. Your kid's gotta fail and process that failure. Learn from it. You gotta be there for them, but don't stand in the way of their failures unless it's a safety issue. Don't stand and watch them drown. But let them strike out. Let them think they're in gallery view when they're in speaker view. Let them talk while they're muted. Let them spill some milk, burn some cookies, come in last. The part where you come in is example. Show them. Show them how to get up and get back on the horse. 
Show them there'll be another day. Show them finding joy in little things. Show them caring. Show them stick-to-itiveness. Show them you don't always get what you want when you want it. But that doesn't mean you quit. Show them pluck and gumption. Hell, name them pluck and gumption. That'll teach them. He is the author most recently of The Years That Matter Most, How College Makes Us or Breaks Us. Thank you so much, Paul Tuff, for being on our show. That was fantastic. Thanks, Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I was, uh, I have to confess, about halfway through the interview, I was ready to give up. <laughs> but, but why didn't you, Paula? Because I got grit. I got pluck. <laughs> you got gumption. <laughs> I do. You got giddy up. I got, I got javelina hogs and a rope in my backyard and I'm going to go get dinner. <laughs> Coming up. Your descriptions of this podcast. Can this show ever be captured in a one-liner? Or are we destined to run free of definition? We'll hear our beloved nobody's best efforts to corral this show into a description. That's coming up after this. Right after this. Fun fact, koala bears are one of the few species that have human-like fingerprints, which lends a vital clue as to the identity of Melbourne's eucalyptus bandit. We now join the French Trump Weekly Friday Press Conference in progress. Yes, thank you, Mr. President. Gwen Eiffel, PBS News Hour. During your unscheduled visit to Walter Reed Hospital months ago, why did you ask the doctors and staff to sign a non-disclosure agreement? Je suis ma penny. Your your what, sir? Ma penny. His his what? What? They saw his what? What is he talking about? Did you get that? Wait, do you know what he means? Did you? Is that what is? Is it a kind of process? They saw his penis. Next question. And we're back. Adam. 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 Yes. Adam, answer the phone. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, hello? Adam? Adam, it's yes. me, Penelope Vanderbottom. Penelope Vanderbottom, what a pleasure to hear from you. Um, to what do I owe the pleasure? I'm so excited. I have made a major art world find, Adam. You know... Van Gogh couldn't afford to pay models, so he got himself a mirror, and he painted himself. It was a method of developing his skills. 
It is thought that between the years of 1886 and 1889, that's three years, Adam, Van Gogh painted over 30 self-portraits. But guess what, Adam? What? I found a Van Gogh self-portrait in Paula Poundstone's home. It was in Wendell's garage, so it's amazing that anyone could find it. It's beautiful. It looks much more like Kirk Douglas in this portrait. It has his sloping forehead and strawberry blonde hair. The background is a bright pink with kind of a Bing cherry colored swirl. It's quite a fine. <laughs> you well, know, the, the, the color palette you're describing and the fact that it looks like um, Kurt Russell. Kurt Douglas. Not Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Russell. Douglas. What are you no, okay. thinking? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Kurt Russell. That's the computer who wore tennis shoes. That's not Kurt Douglas. <laughs> you're right. Kirk Douglas is a different person. But the fact that the color no, palette Kirk, you're describing Kirk and the Doug- fact that it looks like Adam. Kirk Douglas. Yes, I said Kirk Douglas. <laughs> it's amusing. It sounds like um, that's a uh, uh, just a a portrait of Kirk Douglas that you've got there. No, no, no. I, you know, I am a forensic uh, art uh, appraiser, and so I would know the difference uh, between Kirk Douglas and uh, Van Gogh. <laughs> you know, Van Gogh used to be roommates with Gauguin, whereas Kirk Douglas wasn't. That's one difference. Um, yeah. You know, did you know that Gauguin would sometimes wake up at night to see Van Gogh standing over him, staring at him? And so Gauguin moved out because that's not what you want in a roommate, do you? <laughs> no, that makes oh, it's for a, it's terrible. It's an extraordinary roommate. find. Extraordinary find. I was hoping you'd be more excited. Well, I just, I, you know, the, you're, you're discovering all, all these masterworks in Paula Poundstone's Santa Monica house. And I, I just, I, I, I suppose I kind of doubt the veracity of your finds, nor do I, I understand why someone as, um, as learned as you are spending so much time trolling around Paula's house. Well, you know, I was walking by one night and I thought I noticed something peeking out from behind her bookshelves. And that was the first time I did. That's when I discovered the Mona Lisa. And it was a huge discovery. The Mona Lisa. (laughs) And since then, I have just found, I have found missing artwork after missing artwork here in the uh, you know she Paula doesn't own this home by the way Adam she rents it so technically these things don't belong to her but who needs to know that (laughs) 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 all right Adam I'm gonna have to go now oh that's tragic yeah, I think I see America Sat peeking out from behind the videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, you go ahead and do that. And uh, pleasure having you on the show. You were the 94th caller, by the way, in our 100th caller contest. 
Oh, I wasn't calling for the contest. It doesn't matter. Oh, it does. As as much as I enjoy you, Adam, I don't want to hang out with you after the game. I'm much too busy in the art world. I, I totally understand, and I will spare you that if I possibly can. Hello? I guess she's gone. Yeah, oh, Paula? yeah. She's so busy. She's, oh, my yeah. gosh. Well, that's okay, because as it turns out, Paula Poundstone, you and I are very busy all of a sudden. Well, we, we're always very busy. We are. But something very special is in the offing. Uh, you might recall our vocabulary contest that we've mentioned a few hundred times. Yes. I've been hanging on the edge of my seat waiting to find out about the vocabulary contest. Well, yeah, we've been running it at show 109. We hit all those vocabulary words. Our listeners have been super busy trying to figure out if they could guess every word that we we mentioned in it. Paula, we have a winner. No. Yes. (laughs) We just found out this just in from Tony and Nina Hall. Somebody has won that darn vocabulary contest and will, as a result, win you and me attending a party with them on Zoom and a hundred of their closest friends. Oh, you know what? I'm bringing the chips. I'm bringing the chips. Cool. I am so looking forward to this. So so when do we find out who won? Next week, as Tony Anita Hull gathers information about our winner. Next week, we're going to announce the winner right here, live on our pre-tape podcast. This is sort of like Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Remember how it was like weeks and weeks of, you know, still vetting, still thinking? Um, so yep, it's exactly that. Yeah. So next week <laughs> we're going to tell you who, who the winner is and, uh, and they don't have to have a hundred friends. Yeah. They, they could have less than a hundred friends. And for all the listeners know, the winner could be Kamala Harris. It could be. <laughs> it absolutely could yeah. be. So <laughs> tune in next week and find out. All right. Moving on. Hey, Paula, you are often asked to describe nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, right? And you find that to be difficult. It is kind of difficult. I say stuff like I say, um, it's uh, me and my partner, Adam Felber, and uh, we interviewed somebody uh, that knows a lot about a topic, and uh, it's funny. That's how yeah, I say I just, it. I just fell asleep during that description of our very yeah. entertaining show. Yeah, it's, so, uh, um, it's compelling the way I do it. And it's the opposite of compelling. Um, but, you yeah. know, we laid down that challenge to describing our podcast to our listeners. And, you know, as you know, nobody's have really, over the months, stepped up to the task to the point where if you were to go to um, paulapoundstone.com right now, you would see splashed across near the top of the page um, uh, rotating quotes from our listeners of, of <laughs> describing the show. It, it, it's, it's really been heartening that they can do That's such a good f- job of describing it. They do do a great job of describing it. That's my favorite part of the website, actually, is those listener descriptions that are up on the uh, on the left-hand side. You can't miss it, you guys. But now, let's bring out some new candidates for um, show descriptions. Uh, we have our own Tony Anita Hull, uh, human guinea pig Tony Anita Hull, is, is, <laughs> <laughs> is going to step up to the microphone. Um, Bonnie Burns, a microphone is what you talk into. When you're uh, recording something. Thank you, Adam. I didn't know that after 30 years of show business. <laughs> well, you should have. Uh, just ask Kevin. Yeah. Um, so Wait, Tony, step on Kevin? up. <laughs> Tony, want to step on up? Tony, need a haul, everybody. I'm ready. All right. Okay. Lay him so on us. I'm, okay. First one is from Lois Schmidt. 
Imagine the Mad Hatter's Tea Party hosting a weekly TED Talk. Ooh, I like that. That's really nice. Yeah, that is really nice. Um, Yeah, Lois, nice job. Uh, Lois Schmidt, uh, of course, being uh, Mrs. Schmidt's uh, youngest. Yes. (laughs) Is Bonnie crinkling? Bonnie, Bonnie, was that you crinkling? No, my earplug was coming out. Your earplug was coming out, so you felt the need to shuffle papers? No, I'm not shuffling papers. (laughs) Wait a minute. Your earplug was coming out without going to the doctor? (laughs) Go back to Lois Schmidt. (laughs) She sounds um, like she's under a log right now. She's waving us off. Go back. Go back to Lois Schmidt. Don't tell anybody I'm here. Go back to Lois Schmidt. I All right, Tony, what else you got? At the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, who, who's Bonnie? I think, obviously, you're the Mad Hatter there, Paula, and I, I fear I might be the uh, White Rabbit. Um, but, but who's Bonnie? I'm, Bonnie's Alice. I thought I'd be Alice. <laughs> yeah, I was, see, I was going to say Tony was Alice, and Bonnie might be I'm the doormat. I'm an overweight Alice. I'm an overweight Alice. You're not Bonnie. Don't give Kevin any more ammunition. Don't talk Bonnie like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Don't, yeah. don't, don't, I, you're just loading Kevin for bear. How did, what did Alice do? She went, ooh. Is that what she did? She was always what? surprised. <laughs> ooh, ooh, you didn't ooh, read ooh. Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> no, I did. What does that sound you're making? Like, did you, <laughs> did you watch some was kind of like 1975 surprised? softcore porn version of Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> <laughs> You said, what the did hell Alice was do? that? Didn't ooh, she make, ooh, like, wasn't ooh. she always surprised? Okay, what was the noise when she went through the rabbit hole? <laughs> no, you know what? You're thinking of Cher's backup singers. Cher's backup singers went, <laughs> Do up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Alice didn't do that. She Alice didn't have a signature. She didn't have a signature sound, Bonnie. She 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 would say she would exclaim things like "Oh, curiouser and curiouser" and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, and she and I she cried a about lot. That part. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. In in the presentation, you're going to have to rehearse. I think. All right, Tony. What else? Lo, thank you, Lois Schmidt. That was great. Uh, what else do you have, Tony? <laughs> 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 Who's there? Who's there? Oh my god! I'm sure I heard, I heard someone. <laughs> Is that Boo Radley behind that door? <laughs> All right, Tony, give us another one. Here's one from Kimberly Allman. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is a full-service buffet of information comedy with neither sneeze guards nor utensils. Ooh. Ooh, oh, yeah. wow. That's nice. Um, that kind of reminds me of Tony's upcoming cruise in December. <laughs> <laughs> She'll have to be reporting back. Um, uh, so a full service buffet, uh, right. a full service buffet of information and comedy. Um, 
I feel that we do have sneeze guards. Let me just say that. We may dig in with our hands, but we definitely <laughs> we do have sneeze guards, Kimberly. That's right. As opposed to Tony's upcoming cruise, which is just going to feature, you know, <laughs> a, a, a corona dance night on every yeah, Saturday. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everybody yeah. lick your food and pass it to the right. Yeah, they have one event on the new Corona Cruise where um, they have a, a singles dance, and the way that you tell someone you want to dance with them is you spit on their mask. And uh, <laughs> I think you're really going to enjoy that, Tony. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the only time they're six feet apart is when they're in the lifeboats. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be quite a cruise, Tony. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Oh. Uh, you have anything else in that hopper for us, Tony? I do, I do. This is from Ashling Fay. Nobody listens Ash- to Paula Poundstone. Ashling. Ashley Fay. I Faye. believe I'm saying it right. Yeah, it's an yeah. Irish name. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. The comedy podcast is like a comedy roast where we're all in the chair. Seriously, the only people Paula and Adam hate more than their listeners are their advertisers. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) The only people they hate more than their listeners are their their advertisers? are their advertisers. Uh, we don't hate our listeners, nor our advertisers. I can't. Ashley, wow. what Fuck on you, earth? Ashley. <laughs> Ashley, Ashley Faye, you get in here right now. What you say Ashley that Faye. for? <laughs> Ashley Faye, you go outside and pick yourself a switch and bring it into me. Honestly, Ash- Ashley Faye, now you're telling stories. That is not true. You're going to have to go apologize to every one of them listeners. Even the ones Paula and Adam hate. You go on out there. That is not nice talk, and that's not the kind of thing that comes from nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Absolutely Ashley, not. Ashley Faye, you come back here. <laughs> Ashley Faye. All right, then don't come home tonight. I can't believe you said that, Ashley. Well, you know, Paula, I have to say that um, in recent weeks, to Ashley's point, when we do do our mailbag uh, segment and we uh, we we field um, we field criticisms from our listeners, we don't always take it really well. That's a handful of whiny listeners. That's not <laughs> Ashley Faye. <laughs> Ashley Faye, you're taking things out of context. You put them back in context right now. You get Ashley in this Faye, house. you got to go up to that, march right up to that bathroom, take a bar of soap and put it in your mouth for an hour. That's exactly right, Ashley Faye. You're going to be blowing <laughs> bubbles out of your nose. I think she's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ashley, you've let down the whole family. <laughs> it's the shame of the neighborhood. You're going to have to walk the cliffs tonight. She's not Irish. Ashley Faye, you come in here and eat some Lucky Charms. You are not Irish. Um, 
All right. I can't believe Ashley Face says that. I know. <laughs> and your comments are said with love. And we turn down a lot of sponsors that we, we don't think are right and that we don't endorse. Ashley. Ashley Faye, I'm not yelling. <laughs> I'm trying to talk to you about a mistake that you've made. You don't want to keep making mistakes, do you, Ashley Faye? No, you don't. You want to correct your mistake and move on. Now, you tell the people, you tell the listeners that Adam and I love... L-O-V-E, love. We love our listeners and our sponsors. You write that down. And sometimes we just have to whip them into shape. That's all. It's out of love. (laughs) Sometimes they're a little rough around the edges, and we might file at it. Yes, but that's not the same as shaving. Sometimes we got to smooth you out. Sometimes they're a little uh, rough, and we maybe lubricate them. That's it. Well, that just took a turn. You know, like a lotion, (laughs) like a Jergens or something. That kind of lubricant. Not the other kind of lubricant, Bonnie Burns. You're thinking of a different kind of lubricant. Yeah. We're talking about the kind of lubricant you should be using on your door, Bonnie. No, we're talking... We're talking about the kind of lubricant where you're up in your bed and you go, Oh, shit, I left it downstairs. <laughs> and then you run downstairs and you look for the lubricant, you can't find it, and then you run back upstairs, and then you what run the back downstairs. Here? And then you say, Oh, Stop. the lubricant was in my pocket the whole time. Stop. <laughs> and it was hard to find in your pocket because you'd already taken it out of the bottle. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the loop. oh, now it's you all over my pocket. <laughs> oh, wouldn't you know it? I got my, I got me another pocket full of loose lubricant. Okay, everyone, stop saying lubricant. <laughs> just wait there. Just, just wait there, gentlemen caller. I gotta go do some laundry downstairs. There's lubricant all over. <laughs> Maybe you heard my first album, Pocket Full of Lubricant. <laughs> oh, my. I am oozing lubricant everywhere okay, like a... Pu- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. It's like a purulent wound the way I'm oozing lubricant. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> Shannon, can you run and get my lubricant? <laughs> Oh my god. I'll be right back. I gotta run downstairs. <laughs> does it? Does anybody have a Tide Pod? I gotta wash these pockets. <laughs> oh, 
We don't even really need listeners. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you know, one thing is for sure, my pants are never going to squeak. <laughs> Now, you see, Ashley Fay, if we were to have a lubricant uh, uh, advertiser, uh, (laughs) we wouldn't be hating on them. No, we love lubricant. Bonnie, tell them. That that is a box that we should not be opening. <laughs> and I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> oh. I meant oh. I, I meant it's a subject we should not be broaching. Oh, oh right. my god. Hey, hey Paula. Paula, let's um let's talk about your merchandise. <laughs> okay, wait, before you do that, what's the price? What? Do they get a coin? Do they get a soap? Oh. I had a note for us to figure this out before we did the segment, but I forgot to mention it. (laughs) You were so organized. (laughs) You know what? It's downstairs. Go get it. (laughs) Paula, do you want to pick a favorite and we'll award a a, um, a Thomas Coin coin? Um, uh, Do I want to? uh, Well, you know what? My favorite is Imagine the Mad Hatter's Tea Party hosting a weekly TED Talk. That was my favorite. Lois Schmitz. Wait, wait, hold on a second, Paula. Bonnie, are you eating your microphone? (laughs) No. Could you hear that? Yes! Yes! What are you doing? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What are you doing? You know what, Kevin? You were right. I'm totally on Kevin's guys... side now in the debate. Bonnie, what are you doing? Don't put lubricant on the microphone. What are you doing? <laughs> I. <laughs> what? And now you sound like you're at the bottom of a well. What the hell you is going like you're on? Talking into your pillow. Oh, Bon-... I am. <laughs> okay, wait. <laughs> I'll move. <laughs> this is like a. <laughs> 30 years in the business, Bonnie. <laughs> I am completely on Kevin's side now. Yeah. Okay. Kevin's a goddamn genius. <laughs> okay, how's that? That's better. That's better. That's better. Yeah. Much this, better. <laughs> this is the point at which, at a slumber party, where the mother has to come in and go, all right, that's enough. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's my job here. So Paula, pick girls, pick, it's pick, t- some, it's pick time. a winner. It's it's time. Let's stop this. Let's stop this now and go to sleep. You're all going to be cranky in the morning. I did, Adam. I picked uh, I picked Lois Schmidt, if you'll recall. It was just before Bonnie buried her face in her pillow and began talking. <laughs> I know. Um now um, <laughs> All right, so Lois Schmidt, congratulations. We'll be sending you your prize uh, for Imagine a Mad Hatter's Tea Party hosting a weekly TED Talk. That's terrific. And and Bonnie, move away from the mic. (laughs) I'm not really? Okay. All right. Oh, my God. I could have been killed. Shannon, could you come in here? 
(laughs) (laughs) Paula, let's talk about your merchandise. Adam, Adam, I often dream of being in a medically induced coma at least until February, but it just doesn't seem practical. My second choice is to have time to curl up with a good book. If our listeners can't fit in a medically induced coma right now and would like to curl up with a good book instead, my book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, is available in paperback or on CD at the store at my website, paulapoundstone.com, or you could support your favorite bookstore by getting it from them. Booklist calls it smart, sweet, and laugh out loud funny balm for exceedingly stressful times. Hmm, when might that be? And by the way, you guys, I'm happy to autograph a copy just for you. Some of our listeners also, Adam, are enjoying a break from the purulent year of 2020 by watching my goofy new game show, Nobody Asked You, starring Paula Poundstone on YouTube and Facebook, in case Vlad wants to watch. Check it out. And if you like it, tell only your closest friends. Well, that that is a very fun show. And speaking of fun shows... Um, the baseball season is coming to a close. The postseason is in full swing. And if you want to check out uh, Jeff Cesario and me doing our Starburn Sports simulcast, well, check your local baseball schedule and check my Twitter feed because we will be simulcasting those games in a comedic fashion. You watch on ESPN (laughs) or on TBS and you listen to us at starburnsports.com. So it's you guys. So you guys are covering the game, right? You're 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 yeah. doing the color commentary on, on the games. Uh, you and yep. Jeff Cesario, who I love, and uh, what kinds of stuff do you say about Babe Ruth? Well, we don't really say a lot about Babe Ruth, Paula, because he's uh, what sports fans call dead, oh. and not very much in the game anymore. So maybe you'll say like uh, Babe Ruth is up. Uh, he's uh, doing his practice swings, and then Jeff will go, uh, he's dead, Adam. Is that right? Yes, yes. It's, 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 it's very much like that, except we don't pretend that Babe Ruth is up because we're literally watching a game that's happening live. Oh, I see. I see. If you want to enter our theme song contest, everybody, send your song to us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Once again, that's nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com, which is where you send... All of your communiques to us. That's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam Lee Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Paul Tuff. And thanks to our house band, Tim Freeman. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone. Yay, Tim. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Ho. Mixing by Michael Hoagie, Starburns production by Land Romo, and thank you so much to current intern Shannon and former intern Doug Gutton, but not forgotten. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Honey, could you go downstairs and grab me the lubricant? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, honey. No, 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 no. Come back upstairs. Don't worry about it. Been in my pocket the whole time. Market full of lubricant. My first album. <laughs>
Oh, damn it. Something else I left downstairs. <laughs> it was the bottle that the lubricant goes in. Oh, the lid, the lid to the lubricant. Oh. Yeah, that explains these pockets. Ashley? Podcast Network.